We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to episode 161 of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis, Billy Marshall, brought to you by Blue Wire. The Panthers have a new coach, Frank Reich. You've heard that by now. We're coming to you on a Monday, Tuesday. He's going to be introduced to the media. In advance of that, we've got some news on the coordinator positions, maybe some names that will be coming into the fold. James Campen, Chris Tabor, they're sticking around. What does that say about the rest of the staff? We'll break that all down. The quarterbacks in the draft, do they make sense for Frank Reich? How important is it for Scott Fitterer, Dan Morgan, to be guiding him in that department? And what's going on with the owner, David Tepper? How do we size this up right now? Do we know enough information to make judgments? Probably not, but we can make opinions. We can formulate opinions. We're here for that, baby. It's John Ellis and my friend Billy Marshall. This is the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. Joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ellis. John, how are you? Hello, Billy Marshall. How you doing, man? I know you've been grinding the uh, Shrine Bowl film cuts. and Yeah, we can can discuss... A whole sorts of things here since our last pod. We can discuss yeah. some college prospects, Senior Bowl starting up this week. Yeah. The good folks over at the Shrine Bowl have their event going on. We got Arthur Smith and Bill Belichick coaching over there. We can talk about you know, former Panthers in the Super Bowl like Hassan Reddick, James Bradbury, and oh. Butker. <laughs> um, or we can talk about, or, <laughs> or we can talk about Matt Rule engaging with one of hey. my. Students. Story, don't bury the lead. Listen, let me take this one real quick. So, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't follow Billy at uh, Billy uh, M underscore 91 or whatever the hell it is. What, what's your Twitter handle again? You got that right. All right, good deal. Follow Billy on Twitter because uh, not only does he post great content related to your Carolina Panthers when he's in such a mood to do so, which is often rare with the condition of the team, though we're getting Billy back up to speed here. He will post things from around the league that are fascinating in terms of film study. And now we come to find out, after 160 episodes of enduring the painful tenure of one Matthew Rule, who took us down the valley of five wins in one season, five wins in another season, multiple losses by double digits, 
heartbreaking losses, mismanagement of personnel, calling out players at press conferences. Billy and I were always honest and fair, and I guess I, of the two, was probably a little more ridiculing of the coach to that end. Matt Rule is a Billy Marshall stan. <laughs> Billy posted a clip of, I guess, an old Baylor player this week. and Yeah, well, Matt, let's not bury the lead again. Like you said, we're yeah. in college draft season. Yes. Let's give Ben Sims, the tight end from Baylor, his respect. OOU, baby. Um, right. But yeah, <laughs> without further ado, all those things happened, <laughs> which brings us to the current state of the Carolina Panthers. Oh my God. That made me and mean. they have hired former Indianapolis Colts head coach, Frank Reich yes. to take over the tenure of the man we were just speaking with, Matt Roll. Right. Um, I'll get to my thoughts here in a second, but uh, seems to be a lot of interesting uh, noise around this hire. I think it was a good hire. I'll say that much about it. Um, and then I'll, again, like I said, I'll get into the reasons why you should be optimistic and just some areas to pay attention to some of his shortcomings in Indianapolis. But yeah, John, um, we'll, like I said, I'll get into some of the issues I've had with not necessarily Frank Reich, but just uh, the process as to how it led us here. But your overall initial thoughts on the hire. Yeah, you know, Billy, I've come to a point in this process where I try to look at things the way you do, I think, in a lot of ways. What are you doing process-wise? And is it something that's sensible? Does it have a plan to it? Does it have a destination that makes sense? And that that's important, and I get it. I also understand that this league is very volatile. There are a lot of moving parts. We don't know the entirety of every single detail of every story, although I think our sourcing here on this show has become quite good over the past few years. And I'll say this, uh, I was talking to a good buddy of ours that does some reporting, and I won't mention his name, but we, we tend to agree on this front. There's a lot we know that we don't throw out there that we can't totally confirm, and we're very good not to do that. But when I feel like I've got a beat on something, and I've got some people that are corroborating it. Yeah, we're going to throw it out there. So there are a few things this week we were able to shed some light on. Um, and the Panthers are certainly taking a different kind of approach, but it's not unprecedented. I'll touch on that later, but you asked me about Frank Reich. Yes, on its own, I am totally fine and happy with this hire. And I'm not just using Matt Rule's 2020 hire as a barometer. That's not the measuring stick for me. Had this been the hire in, you know, 2020 and, and you know, you're coming in as a head coach with a couple of winning seasons under your belt, three out of four, I think it was. There's some context behind Frank Reich's tenure that I'd like to get into a little bit, and I'm sure you've got some opinions on it. But the guy did win some games there. Uh, he got dealt a pretty shitty hand with Andrew Luck's retirement. He got some production out of Jacoby Brissett. So you can look at the win-loss totals. I kind of look at the track record, the lineage, the history, and I'm not even talking about the fact that he was the first quarterback to ever take a snap for this franchise, which, by the way, I was posting that shit three years ago. I'm glad the rest of the world caught on to it. Welcome to the party. Without further ado, let me give you my take on the coach, Frank Reich. So I think when you look, first of all, at having experience as a quarterback, and now an offensive coach, a quarterback coach, an offensive coordinator. He has uh, coached multiple position groups. 
it gives you something this franchise has never really had, Billy. It's never had at all in terms of having at the top of the food chain in that coaching room a quarterback and a guy who understands how to coach quarterbacks and how to relate to the quarterback and also how to put together offensive systems and schemes are are one thing, but systems, how you develop your game plan, how you communicate with your staff, those things that you learn from people that you've been around in terms of Marv Levy. Uh, You talk about Ted Marchabrota, talk about other people he's been around like Doug Peterson, who indirectly influences our current coach now via the Andy Reid tree. So many connections there that give me, and I use the word comfort, but it is a comfortable choice for me if I'm a fan. Because I, I mean, know, the coach I, I, representing the NFC worked under him too. Absolutely. Yeah, Nick Sirianni. There you go. Um, Jonathan Gannon is a part of Frank's tree. I mean, we got a lot of things we can talk about in terms of connectivity. Uh, I know you and I have a mutual connection with several people that know people around the league, and there's some people I've gotten to know around the Philly operation, and it, it gives me a chance to gain some context and depth into, okay, what is Frank Reich? Who is Frank Reich? What was his value in that organization during his time? How did that translate in Indianapolis, and did he get a fair shake as a head coach? How much of the wins thing was his fault? Well, obviously, a lot of it was, but some of it didn't fall on his shoulders. What I like about Frank, and, and something I continue to hear, is the fact that he is a very steady guy. He is not going to yell and scream. Um, he's also not a pushover. That's something that I've had several people kind of asking about. Oh, is he soft? Is he going to get walked on? I don't sense that. I don't sense that was ever the problem in Indianapolis. He was highly respected by Darius Leonard and all the defensive leaders on that team. So it's not as if he was in the corner with a dinner menu just focusing on offense. He was a galvanizing guy with that organization. Um, It did not end particularly well in that last season. There were some narrow margin things that went on at the end of that season that weren't entirely Frank's fault that cost them a chance at the playoffs. Remember, they were on an 8-2 and two stretch after a bad start. They had beaten the Patriots. They had boat raced the Buffalo Bills on the road. Those are the things I look at and say, you know what? You're going to hire a head coach. Yeah, okay, Sean Payton is a grand slam if you're not giving up two number one picks. That was something you and I kind of agreed on. That's a bridge too far. Not ready to go there. Um, then you look at the rest of the landscape, you get some very... Very interesting and very intelligent, talented, young coordinators. And you end up with Steve Wilkes in the mix, who I like a lot, but I came to the conclusion after really doing my research and looking back and reflecting on what we saw that it's not that Steve didn't deserve an opportunity. Um, And I would tell you this straight up, that people around that operation organization I don't get the sense, and I tell you if I felt otherwise, I don't get the sense that he was given an unfair shake. Um, I do think David Tepper was a little surprised how well of a job he did. <laughs> so he came to a point where it's like, wow, I really do have to make a decision on Steve. It's further complicated by the fact that Wilkes is part of the lawsuit with, you know, of course, Brian Flores. I believe Ray Horton is in that. And I totally understand that because that was a total shit show 
out there in the desert. And now Steve Kime is out of a job for a lot of reasons. So it's there's a lot of layers to this thing. I, I, I'm not going to sit here all night and just this. It was exhausting the first day this news broke because it you had to like pick one side. Well, either you feel like shit for Steve Wilkes or you, you got to love Frank. You're on this team or that. Look, that's not how it works. These guys respect one another. It's a competitive business. You saw Steve's release on his Twitter account. He was grateful, wished uh, Frank a lot of luck. Um, and I, I'm sure they've crossed paths a lot because they're both Charlotte guys. They've been around for a long time. Nonetheless, it's Frank Reich. He's an offensive coach. He's got great systems, great schemes, a lot of concepts that we haven't seen here for a long time. I think back to some of the stuff with George Seifert. And again, I know George Seifert is remembered here as a joke, but that 1999 offense when Gil Haskell was coordinating it, there were some fun things going on there. So you're hopeful that the offense in terms of passing structure and acumen and pushing the ball not only vertically but horizontally down the field, it, it's going to look and feel a little different. And there's going to be a greater sense of urgency and aggression on offense that we're not used to around here. And it'll be complemented by what Frank does value because other guys he has learned from value it, a good running game. Um, I think it's good, too, that we find out tonight, Billy, via Joe Person, that James Campen has been retained as the offensive line coach. And I can give you some insight into what went into that based on somebody I know that is familiar with Frank. And uh, the same can be said for Chris Tabor. And I always thought that was probably the best idea to just let's not go through a whole new cycle of trying to find a coordinator. Not to mention we're one day away from the month of February. So we're, we're running out of time to a certain degree. Uh, that's my opening intro on Frank Reich. I'm happy that he's back. I think he's a great guy. But even if he wasn't a great guy, I do value his acumen as a coach. And I do think when you look at his head coaching record, it wasn't a complete disaster class. He had a couple of bad games. It wasn't completely great. But he's been there, and he's been in the playoffs. He's won a playoff game. You could have done a lot worse. Yeah, I agree. I think let's just make something clear. I think there's certainly nuance regarding the Steve Wilkes situation. I don't believe Carolina just allowed Bill Walsh or Bill Belichick to leave their building. I mean, I think he's a fine coach. and maybe... Or Mike Tomlin, for that matter, if you want to. Yeah, I, I don't. Let's just try to keep everything in perspective. Just because he did a better job than Matt Rule does not necessarily mean that he has the tools and experience to get the full-time job. Now, with that said, I don't know what's going on in these meetings. I don't know who's interviewing who or what's going on. I mean, we've tried to dissect that for uh, over a month. And like I said, we'll get into that in a minute here. But uh, overall, to me, Frank Reich represents a very solid choice because I believe you, you're you going to get a, a, you know, a relatively high floor with him. Now, I'm not sure how high the ceiling will be, uh, but I think that not only NFL competency, something we've stressed on this show for a while, but you also get uh, the factor in, um, you know, his experience calling, you know, working in different offensive systems and just having a plan offensively. And by, by that, I mean, sequencing plays, you know, creating mismatches, exploiting tendencies and looking for different 
uh, schematic advantages. These are all areas that we've had issues with, uh, particularly in the last year since Joe Brady got fired. I thought Brady uh, was fairly competent and good, but I'm not going to rehash those discussions here. Uh, But the biggest key for Frank Reich and ultimately his success is going to be tied upon how they solve the QB issue. Uh, we'll get into some of the ways that they can solve that later on this show. But uh, but let, let me just go back um, to 2021, at the end of that year. It, I, I watched the entire Hard Knocks series because uh, the Colts were featured as the Hard Knocks team in season. Um, you know, Frank is definitely a quieter guy. Um even that entire coaching staff last year, uh, they aren't guys that are going to get in your face and just try to hype you up. They're very even keel guys. Like Matt Eberflus, he's, who's now the coach in Chicago. Um, you know, most defensive guys like a D'Amico, uh, you know, those are guys who get really rowdy and they love to pump up, you know, players in the sideline, which is totally a very, um, you know, common form of leadership and just coaching. Robert Sala does the same thing in New York. So that's, I have no issue with it. Um, but you're, you're going to get something different with Frank. You're not going to get a guy who's going to yell at a player on the sideline or throw his helmet down or throw his, excuse me, his, uh, headset down and start berating officials. Yeah. He'll, get animated one here and there. But, um, you know, what I found interesting is just his ability to connect with players. Um, he seems to understand the modern NFL team and they had a lot of stars on that team, Yeah, did. Uh, whether it was Jonathan Taylor or, uh, DeForest Buckner, Shaq Leonard. I mean, they had a lot of really good players on that team and he was able to connect with all of them. And, uh, you know, he, his experience, not only playing in an NFL locker room, but also just going through the ranks and coaching, whether he was working under Mike McCoy in San Diego and moving to Philadelphia with Doug Peterson. And then obviously, you know, he was a last minute choice for the Colts. Uh, They weren't supposed to hire him. They were supposed to hire Josh McDaniels and he got, uh, you know, thrust in there at the last minute. And by the way, I mean, quickly to to the point about Steve Wilkes, there is sort of a connectivity there too. And, um, I'm glad you mentioned that about Wilkes, and I agree. I hope all the best for him, but he was very much in consideration. But when you look at what happened with Indy, it was similar with Frank to a certain degree in that this is like, okay, I'm plan B. I'm the backup. I was not Josh McDaniels. Um, I was impressed by many things with Frank, but mostly by how he came in and used Eberflus as his coordinator, and they worked together with such great harmony, and, and you know, obviously communication was great. And and they became a playoff team in short order, and that's kind of what you look for when all of a sudden your darling head coach that you're looking forward to not only make the 20 year plan with, but also stick it to Bill Belichick and Bob Kraft uh, leaves you at the altar. Frank Reich ignored all the bullshit and all the obvious dysfunction that's going on at the top of that organization up there, and he just coached. So I'll leave it at that. That first year impressed the hell out of me. Yeah, it was certainly impressive, and it helps too when you have a healthy Andrew Luck playing behind center. Yes, um, you're able to draft a blue chip guard in the top five, which is not an area where you draft guards, but it worked out for them. But overall, what I'm trying to say here is that like Frank did a pretty decent job in Indianapolis. So again, it was like if you would ask me, like 
my top 10 coaches in the National Football League, I would not put Frank Reich in the top 10. Um, I mean, I think he's, again, he's probably a top 10 offensive uh, play caller. And even then, I'd probably have him like around 9 or 10, and I'm not going to get into a discussion about that. But what I'm trying to say here is that when I watched the end of the Hard Knock series last year, there was certain elements that I found to be um, areas that he probably needs to improve on. And, you know, the Colts were just coming off uh, beating, winning on the road uh, against the Cardinals and uh, obviously that Saturday game against the Patriots. So they were on a pretty good roll and the Cardinals were a good team that year. Um, And then they just laid down an egg the last two games, one of which was at home to the Raiders and the other one. And when you're like a 14 and a half point favorite on the road against Jacksonville and, um, you know, those are areas that, you know, we, you and I, we talk a lot about wins in December and January. Uh, we're not going to talk about the relevance of, uh, you know, certain wins uh, at that t- this time of the year. But yeah. if you want to can clinch, you have to be playing your best football at that time of the year. And I don't know. It just, um, he, I'm not sure if, what it was, but it's just something to keep in mind when we are evaluating Frank Reich and making sure that like, you know, he is getting the job done during those months, because I just, I I don't know if it was just a messaging issue or what, and I'm not going to sit here and just berate the Colts organization. Like, yeah, they've made some very questionable moves the last like six months, but I mean, Go back to 2000, I mean, go back a year ago, and we're talking about them as one of like the better franchises in the league. And I still believe like they have a good front office, just their owner can be a little impulsive at times. But um, what I'm trying to say here is that I think Frank Reich is a good coach. Um, We just have to study some of the issues that he ran into uh, late in the season where his team, for all intents and purposes, it fell apart. And I think that he had a big role in convincing Carson Wentz and convincing the Colts to trade for Carson Wentz. I don't believe that is going to be a scenario here at all. Um, again, we'll get to that quarterback discussion here in a minute, but I do believe that he had a pretty heavy say in bringing Wentz. Um, but at the same time, he was able to create an offense that was respectable with not only Andrew Luck, but Jacoby Brissett, who was also a free agent and Philip Rivers in his final year. So that's just kind of my take on Reich. I mean, when you're talking about in-game management, I mean, with all due respect to Wilkes, I mean, Frank Reich completely like shuts them out of the water. I mean, this is probably their best in-game coach since early days, John Fox. I mean, I never thought this was a strength of Rivera's at all. Certainly wasn't a strength of Matt rules. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be very well equipped uh, when it comes to just making decisions on fourth down, how to handle the clock, you know, when to go for points, when not to, when to punt in certain situations. Uh, I thought he had an excellent handle of this. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see because in Indianapolis, he had two, uh, analytics guys in the booth relaying information to him. So uh, I'll be curious to see if there is uh, any sort of, um, you know, assistant or lieutenant he'll have in Carolina that will uh, do the same thing for him. Uh, but yeah, I think, like you said, just offensive architecture, scheme, 
in-game management. Those are all strengths of Frank Reich's. Uh, I'm just going to be curious to see how he fills out the staff and more importantly, how they go about answering some of the personal questions that remain on the roster. Yeah, man. Well said. A lot of good detail and info. And like you, I watched that uh, hard knocks in season at the time. And I I will admit that this was in the midst of of Carolina dealing with, you know, trying to rebuild under Matt Rule. And it it just, to me, I I, look, I'm trying to be nice here, but it just felt like amateur hour. And it was. It was just an experiment that was never going to work. I knew that. I think we all kind of knew this was going to take way too long to even be respectable. And so when I watched that series, and again, I, the, the last couple of games, yeah, you can't do that. You can't lose to the friggin' Jags with, you know, no Urban Meyer even, but it's the Urban Meyer vestiges, the leftovers, and Trevor carved them up, and that was coming a coming-of-age game for Trevor in a way, the, a big stage type of moment, knocking the Colts out of the playoffs. Um, I, I I try to balance that out with looking at... If you actually think about it, they, he lost to two interim head coaches. It was yeah. Masaccia... Of the Raiders, and then I think it was um, Bevel at the Jags. So yeah, that, I'm not it, I'm not going to make any excuses for Frank Reich. As much as I like the guy, you got to win those games. Uh, but that that ship has sailed. Um, you can also look at it from one perspective and say, well, that's pretty good coaching to have that team, which was talented, but also played above their level throughout the season to go on a eight out of ten game winning streak and beat, like I said, the Bills on the road by a lot. They beat a pretty good Patriots team in a primetime game. They went into Arizona, and again, not the best team, but a playoff type of team, and they had a great win there in the fourth quarter. And that's a step in a much better direction. Where he ranks in the top 10 of coaches, I I don't disagree with your assessment. I just don't know how to answer that because it's, okay, you know kind of the top three or four it's incomplete to me. It's just as like I would look at any of these coordinator candidates and say, well, there's not much to go on there. I'm sure some of them would do a great job. I'm sure some would end up like Rob Chudzinski or any number of another guys that have been one and done. It is very much a crapshoot. Arthur Smith, I don't know what to make of that team. I think they're heading in a very good direction. I like his schemes. I think he's outstanding, personally. Well, I mean... I think for what the records have been relative to talent, they're overperforming. That's all you could ask for. That's what we wanted to see from Matt Rule. Okay, look, is five wins overachieving? How low is the goddamn bar if that's the case? They had some talent on these teams. So enough on Rule. Let's get back to Frank. Um, He operated in so many high-leverage situations as a player and as an assistant coach in the National Football League, that gives you tremendous value. And he wasn't just standing there, you know, diddling his thumbs there. He was a participant, an active participant as a backup quarterback leading the largest comeback in playoff history. He was an active participant in designing and implementing schemes and ideas throughout the week for that 2017 uh, Doug Peterson team that had to go to the Nick Foles experience and in doing so they had to go more vertical with their passing game they had to open up some things because that's what Nick likes to do um the Philly special you know that's obviously a Doug Peterson brainchild but as with Andy Reid it is a collaboration everybody gets together all week it's like a 10-day process it's and, and they come up with ideas and concepts 
and they throw it into a blender and they see what works. And it's you, you mentioned in game. That is one of the finest points I've heard anybody make about this coach since the hire. There are things that concern me about any guy, anybody on that list I would have questions about. I have fewer questions about Frank than most guys that were on their list. And I see things like that that really impress me. In-game, schematic, you know, situational adjustments. As has been chronicled on Twitter, and it trends for a while here. Let me just tell you this, John. Nobody makes halftime adjustments. It's all about adjusting in the middle of it. Ron was not great at that. McDermott is not great at that in Buffalo. John Fox was great at that because he had Jim Skipper in his ear helping him. And I'll say this, Frank has all the makings of somebody. He comes from the right pedigree. And don't discount the fact that, once again, he was around Jim Kelly, Marv Levy, Ted Marchabrota. And the one thing he always said about being in that scheme, what made him a great coach or made him at least a coach that could coach in this league, everything was urgent and fast. And you had to work fast, operate fast, and everything was high-paced. It's tempo and aggression with Frank Reich. That's his philosophy when it comes to offense. Yeah, for sure. Let me just, um, I know this for a certain fact. Frank Reich was not going to punt the ball on fourth and one against Tom Brady. So (laughs) Frank Reich, if Frank Reich was your coach, you might have a division title here in Carolina. Um, But that's, look, look, all respect to Steve Wilkes. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, uh, Kill the guy because it felt bad when it happened because I like, but, but what I'm trying to the point isn't to trash Wilkes, it's to point out that oh, we like Wilkes. that Frank Reich brings these marginal advantages to your football team when the game is going on, and that I think that matters. Um, okay, let's get to the other part of this entire search that's uh, it's been interesting. Okay, you better um, not fun on the flip side of the field, or I'm going to call you out. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was listening to Julian Council's podcast, Locked on Panthers, last week, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Benjamin Albright is someone that I, I believe you trust him. You hold him in higher guard. I have no reason not to trust him. Ben's a good guy. Good reporter. Um, Heart Radio, uh, part of the team there with my job there. He's out in Denver. I'm here in the Carolinas. Ben's a good guy. So, with that said, both of us have no reason not to believe him. So I was listening to the podcast um, where he was on Julian Council's pod, Locked on Panthers. And, uh, you know, the gist of it was that he wanted, or according to him, you know, Shane Steichen and um, CJ Stroud was a pairing that the owner was envisioning. Um, okay, fair enough. If I take that at face, I have no reason not to believe any of that right now. Okay. I'll leave the CJ Stroud stuff to the wait, side, wait, but wait, wait, run that by me again. Cause I didn't hear Julian's pod. So Ben was saying that it was a Steichen CJ Stroud kind of package deal from Tepper's perspective. That's what he envisions. That's what Tepper, you know what I mean? Like, I think, Bill, I, I think what he was trying to say is that Tepper was trying to envision a scenario where his number one target, according to him, Shane Steichen would potentially pair with CJ Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's like the gist of what was said. I have to go back and get verbatim. What I'm trying to say is this. 
and he's actually tweeted this too. Uh, leave this Stroud stuff aside. I don't know how, how much yeah, to believe enough. that right fair now. Yeah. It's January 30th. Um, Shane Sykin was supposedly the number one candidate. And Albright has said this in other uh, tweets as well. Okay, fair enough. Shane Sykin's your number one guy. I have, I mean, did a really impressive job yesterday running the football. He's in an NFC championship game. I mean, I've heard a few of his interviews, um, or not interviews, just press conferences. Seems like a very smart, well-spoken guy. He's was hired by North Turner. So I know for a fact that he comes from a very good lineage and tree. Um, totally understand. According to Ben, I think it was like 24 hours after Julian posted the podcast. Uh, and he's also reiterated this on Twitter. I think it was yesterday that Steichen did not have a very good interview with Carolina. Okay, th- this is um, where I have issues, okay? Now, again, if anyone here has official reporting to refute Shane Steichen being you know, held in this type of regard, please feel free to send it my way, okay? Because right now I'm just going off of what Benjamin Albright is saying, and again, I, I think he has uh, earned the benefit of the doubt because he's been uh, pretty spot on with some of his reporting. So... The interview could only could have only been conducted via Zoom because Steichen was still in the playoffs at the time. So, what I'm trying to get at here is that if an interview is eliminating a candidate over Zoom, that just seems like a very sketchy way to go about it. And it what worries me is this: this owner was convinced that Matt Rule was the next Bill Parcells because of an interview. So I don't know how much I should be trusting the owner when a certain candidate doesn't interview well or does interview well. Like he's not, these people are not interviewing for a place on his executive board at his hedge fund. Like they're interviewing to be a football coach. Give me some meatballs. I'm getting hungry. You know, and I think I heard Steve Smith say the same thing, uh, you know, on WFNZ today, something about like Frank Reich interviewed better than Steve Wilkes. Uh, I mean, okay. Like, it, I, I don't believe that. I, I don't know if that's the case or if it didn't. Interview, the interview shit, the narrative is so overblown. I, I'll, I'll let you finish. I've, I've got some thoughts. But you get what I'm saying? Well, my my point matter. here is why are we eliminating candidates based off a Zoom interview, especially a guy that is reportedly like your number one choice? You can't even go for an in-person interview to inter- like to at I least. Would, I would hope that's not the totality of what occurred here. Now, I like Benjamin. Don't worry. I, that's his reporting. And, and that's kind of where he leaves it and parks it. That that is pretty fascinating that with any reporting, and I would say this about any of our friends that we have on our shows all the time, Mike Kay and Ellis Williams and, and Joe Person and, and the little bit of stuff I do in terms of sourcing and reporting, that it, you try to get the whole picture here, but nobody really has the whole picture. Ben's a good reporter, but I, I would certainly hope that that's kind of not, you know, the, the jump-off point for Shane Steichen is we did one Zoom call, and Zoom call can be like, you and I do Zooms every week. It's clunky. It's weird. Um, there's nothing better than having a face-to-face and getting a chance to do it multiple times. Uh, and that seems weird to me that it would come down to that 
in in your corresponding that also with Albright's reporting, and I'm not sure if anybody else has reported this that, or at least opined it. I, again, I'm being fair to Ben because I don't have the exact quotes in front of me. But if you're saying that Albright's perspective was Steichen was the leading candidate for Carolina pre-interview, and then after one Zoom call that went from, okay, something is not clicking here, no more interviews for that guy. Um, I, I got to dig a little deeper to find out the backstory on that. I, I don't want to waste my entire summer on it because I'd like to look forward to what's going on here. But look, if Shane Steichen goes on to have a very good, if not great career in the NFL, and Frank just gets eight wins, seven wins, you'd look back at that and say, okay, there's another head scratcher. Um, I don't know, Bill. I mean, I'm reaching out now to people I know and try to get a little more perspective on kind of what what that's all about because the process has been different. There's only five openings. It's taken forever to get this shit done around the league, and I think that's a large part um, of what's happening here. They cast a wide net, but I don't know how truly wide it was, and that has nothing to do with Rooney Rule, race, and the implications. I still think Ben Johnson was their top guy. That's what I've heard from two different people. But- I mean, and that's just my, it goes to my question about the process and how it's led us to this situation where, okay, different, there were different factors why D'Amico or Gerard Mayo couldn't be interviewed. Mayo, I think, is totally without, um, it's totally out of their control. He wants to stay in New England. But D'Amico, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN said that if Carolina actually made an attempt to pursue him, he would have taken an interview and been very interested in the job. But they didn't really show that type of interest, I guess. And then you had Ben Johnson pulling out at the last minute, the day before he was supposed to come in for an in-person interview. I mean, and then... We're getting, we're hearing at least this reporting from Benjamin Albright about Steichen not interviewing well, and that's essentially eliminating him from a search. I, let me just say this. It's very hard to express yourself and to get your points across on a Zoom interview. I don't care what anyone says. Doing it in person, face to face interview, there's just a lot more familiarity that goes into it. Uh, the candidate is a lot more comfortable in that setting because, uh, you know, he's meeting face to face with the GM front office yeah, owner. It's, it's, how it, John, it's how John Fox became a coach twice after it, it ended here. He, it, I talked to people that know, you know, that situation really well, not only with Denver, but Chicago. And this reminds me a lot of what Frank was able to do. Very persuasive. Very organized, very detailed. You sit down, you've got your briefcase and your portfolio, and you've got notes, and you've got everything right in front of you in terms of here's my structure, here's my philosophy. I don't have to talk about my track record and what questions do you have? And you lay out a plan, have things planned in advance. I just texted a scout that I know very well that's been doing this for a long time around the league. And I asked him, and he's been around the Philly, you know group for a a while too among other teams and he says he has no knowledge of what that's about with Steichen and he goes on to say this and I'll quote him and he's one of many sources I talk to around the league that give me pretty good perspective on 
how things shape up in these things. Quote, too much gets made of interviews. Great interviews don't always make great coaches, and bad interviews don't make bad coaches. Their body of work speaks for itself. You'd be surprised how many shitty interviews led to great coaching jobs, and you'd be surprised how many great interviews ended up being disaster hires. To yeah, that, I mean, you know, that's, that, that's certainly that spot you, on. You always want to give a good interview. You don't want to go in and half-ass it. I, it no, I'm not I'm not saying that. No, no, what I'm, I'm not. My no, issue... I'm not saying you are. What I'm saying is, if the owner, if it's that simple that he had one bad Zoom call and they just shut shut it all down on one of the better coordinators in this league that has a very good demeanor and mind for the game, um, I have to think there's something more to that, or they were just determined by then that they had seen enough positives out of the conversations with Frank Wright to know they had kind of had their mind made up at that point. Maybe that was it. And that, and that again, a lot of what I'm trying to say here. It's not isolated to just this. It's, it's the whole process for me. It's the Ben Johnson backing out. It's not pursuing D'Amico like further. Okay. You're, you're, are you really going to tell me D'Amico? Like I get it. D'Amico, his wife is from Houston, but I think if Carolina showed enough interest, he definitely would have taken an interview and he probably would have even been interested in this job. Okay. The next step interviewing defensive coordinators before you have a head coach and then making a decision on a head coach before you interview all the other candidates. That's how you got in trouble with Matt rule. You went to Texas to interview him and you just landed on him. And I'm not saying that the other alternatives that year would have been better, whether it was Josh McDaniels or I don't know who else was um, a candidate back then. But my point being, I don't just, uh, it just seems like, the process, and that takes me to this next point, which is the defensive coordinator search. All right, so you interviewed, at least to my knowledge, three defensive coordinators for, you, at least, excuse me, three individuals for a defensive coordinator role: Marquan Manuel, Chris Richard, and Vic Fangio. Well, now it looks like Fangio isn't coming here. Shocker! You have the richest, uh, second richest owner in the league doesn't want to pony up the cash to make Vic Fangio a defensive coordinator here in Carolina. So it seems like Fangio, the Dolphins were prepared to make him that offer. Now there's also reports that at San Francisco, if they lose D'Amico Ryans, could be a play for um, Fangio. But all things said, he's not going to be coming here. So you interviewed Vic before you had a head coach hired, and you're still not going to give him his salary. And yeah, let, let's just be clear. Vic Fangio deserves to be the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. Oh, it's yeah, not a big, yeah, uh, that was, I was hoping that was going to happen. And I'll say this from what I've gathered, it was not that far off. It wasn't like they gave up. It was there. There were moving parts and there was real conversations, how they interviewed the guy. So any suggestion that, Oh, you know, God, I mean, we talking Vic Fangio is a pipe dream. Who the hell six months ago was sitting around saying, oh, God, if we don't get Vic Fangio, I'm going to pout for a week on Twitter. That's how Twitter is right now on the Panthers side. They interviewed him. I'm sure an offer was made. I don't know for sure, but obviously something else is brewing for him. Uh, you got to imagine he's got his own agenda, too. I, I talked to another guy that knows that coaching tree well, and he was adamant that 
of all the coordinators they brought together for these like pre-screening interviews before having a head coach, Fangio's schemes and systems alone, not even his experience, would be a much better fit for the current personnel than anything else out there philosophically. Although there's been some evolution with, you know, uh, Richard and and obviously you know other guys they're interviewing. Um, yeah, Fangio would have been a home run, but it didn't happen. So I mean, what the fuck? You <laughs> shit happens, as Ron Rivera would say. It's a shame, but um, the whole process has led us to get a, a little bit um, skeptical at times about. But but why 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 are they doing this? Why are they interviewing defensive coordinators before a head coach? That's what what I'm trying to get at. Like this process is just completely backwards. Somebody who knows Frank pretty well that just texted me yesterday about this, and I'll read it to you once again. This is a source that I've talked to for a long time, and he's been around Frank in various stops. Quote, he's hiring his own guys. I know that much. He wouldn't have taken the job if he didn't have control of his staff or have full approval. And I'll trust this guy as much as anyone. So if if something is thrust upon him, um, it, it, look, that, that'll be an argument they have to have down the road. But there was probably, at least from what I gather, an understanding coming into this thing that, hey, look, I've got some clout here. I've, I'm not some slapdick off the street. I've taken the team to the playoffs. I'm Frank Reich. I'm a good offensive mind that's in demand. I want to hire my guys. And I see that you're bringing guys in. Maybe he tipped the team off or somebody tipped the team off that there's some coordinator guys that might work well with me. Um, to my knowledge, Gus Bradley hasn't even had an interview with the team. Um, so I don't know how that serious uh, consideration is right now in terms of Bradley and Reich. This might take some time to play out, and it, it is backwards. It shouldn't be done this way. And there was the whole issue that came up, again, with the perfect storm, and the storm went away in a couple of days. But look, when you have a blip on your radar in terms of getting the training sessions or whatever it was done for Nicole Tepper in terms of hiring diversity, and then you can kind of see it coming that Steve Wilkes, if he does not get this job, he's being represented in a lawsuit. There will be a statement that comes out about that, and it gets tied together in a sloppy, probably unfair mess on behalf of the team. But you put yourself in a position where you didn't have all your ducks in a row. Now, was it criminal? No. But that's what I'm talking about. Make sure you tighten up. And part of that is understanding, and this is what I'm fascinated to hear, if Tepper or anybody else speaks fitter, I'd love to hear from Scott in this presser tomorrow because Frank's getting introduced at noon to the media. What's the deal with the defensive coordinator interviews before um, even landing on potential head coaches? It's, it's, it's an approach that is pretty unique, and I don't find it particularly helpful. Um, but there's this new trend in sports where the front office seizes control of a team and they just try to make decisions for them. Sometimes it works. Um, I think Philadelphia is an example where, uh, the front office has a tremendous amount of influence when it comes to picking personnel, picking coaches, um, Yes, and it works. But Harry Roseman has the acumen and he has the experience to get the benefit of the doubt in those situations. With all due respect, this front office doesn't, uh, and especially this owner. So the fact that they are participating in these type of interviews and Joe Person is writing articles that Tepper enjoyed his conversations with Vic Fangio. I mean, what the heck? Yeah. Well, I mean, Pepper enjoys conversation with Vic Fangio, and you can't make him the highest-paid defensive coordinator. <laughs> I mean, I 
I haven't checked Tepper's portfolio lately, but he was on CNBC a month ago talking about shorting equity markets, which is a whole different discussion, which I mean, he, he has more expertise in that field than I ever will. Um, but I mean, is but, the guy but, like but it, was not making order, enough money? Was he a short order cook? Was he dressed shitty enough? We get, these are questions we need answers to, Billy. I mean, I'm kidding. He, is Tepper. he running low on cash or something? Like, why can't you well, make Fangio I, the I hope highest not. paid? <laughs> I fucking hope not. Um, I, I think. Let me do a refresher here on kind of where we were with Fangio, and and, and it's really important to look back. Um, and I put this out of one Panther place, and again, just people I talked to around the league. One person had told me. In terms of the Vic Fangio question I'd pose, do you think Vic got more money from another team than Carolina offered? I mean, if it came down to that, uh, shame on them for not getting it done. And this source had told me, quote, I doubt it. Money isn't usually the issue here. Clarity of situation probably had a bigger impact. So take that for what it's worth. Um, it could have been money. I don't know. But I, I maybe Vic looked around and made a decision that, okay, the, the, okay, the money's pretty competitive here. Um I don't really know what's going on with the defensive coordinator thing. Here's a theory. Okay, maybe with their minds and hearts set on a younger head coach at a time in place in this whole structure, they possibly were considering the idea of, hey, let's get some older veteran, you know, and even maybe younger coordinators in the door on the defensive side. No offensive guys because Ben McAdoo was still under contract, I believe, and had not been terminated, so they're not going to do anything there. And now Holcomb had already been given permission to reach out, and he was an interim defensive coordinator. So they had the opportunity to do that. It was a strange kind of window. And maybe their thinking was, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate, let's get some guys in the door early because if we do find a coach that is not as experienced as maybe Harbaugh, Peyton, or, say, Frank Reich, that's part of what we want to do is get ahead of this. And then we come into a room and we offer some perspectives on Here's some coordinators we've talked to. You don't have to take these guys, but we got to jump on it because we could. The, the nice Johnny in me likes to think that way. I am as skeptical as anybody, and I am for a good reason, because we've been given a lot of reason to be skeptics around here for a long time. I, I'm thinking it, this will end better than we think it will, and I don't know if any of these names right now that we're seeing will end up being the guy. What I'm thinking is Frank is in the building now, working with the front office guys. And of course, David and Nicole Tepper are going to be a part of this to the coordinator side. I don't know how involved they're going to be to so far. As you've said with Joe person, they have had conversations. Uh, Not all coordinators are made equal, as you know, in terms of stature. So Vic Fangio is a big ticket type of item. If you've got the owner talking to a DC candidate, that's typically something you do when you hire a head coach and you turn the coach and say, go hire your guys. And if you need help from me, come get me. That's something I agree with you on. I don't need my owner or my team front and center interviewing position coaches and coordinators. Get your head coach in the building. Offer the input from prior interviews when he wasn't here on how those guys think. Guys know each other around the league. You know that. I mean, I'm sure the agents have talked to agents and calls have been made. And I just would be patient with, to a certain degree, what they're going to do next. And Philadelphia is a player in this, too, because they are stuck right here in a Super Bowl run. And that goes to the offensive side of the ball, where I think there's a candidate emerging right now that they really want, two of them perhaps, um, and they can't do much there. But the defensive coordinator thing was set in motion early, and I don't totally agree with it. I don't think it's a catastrophe. 
but I want Frank Reich to be able to decide and not feel pressured or persuaded, and I'm sure he won't, and that's probably something people need to keep in mind, too, is Frank is not a dumbass. He's been doing this for a long time, and he has agents representing him, and I'm sure this was all discussed. Um, I'm going to leave it at that and hope for the best. I don't particularly love these defensive coordinator names. Um, I don't hate them, and I'm not going to freak out if Chris Richard, a very respected coach, is the defensive coordinator here. I mean, that would be the best choice at this time. I think Marquan Manuel, look, I, I I respect him, but I don't see a great track record yet that says, okay, that makes me feel good about where this defense could be heading. Um, then you got to staff it out, too, and that's really important. So they really, really need to get this thing kind of wrapped up at a certain point. Combine will be around the corner. You want everybody kind of in the same room having those discussions. Scott Scott, I'm sure his scouting department fully rejuvenated now because he went through that kind of transition where some guys got let go last year and some new guys were brought in and they revamped their scouting system. Dan Morgan is right in the middle of this. And it, I guess the Seattle connection, that was the first jump at those guys because Dan and Scott had been around, you know, Marquand Manuel. They had been around Chris Richard and, and others. And again, I, I don't think you can obviously pigeonhole guys because of prior connections. Otherwise, Gus Bradley would have had an interview now, but it's very likely that Gus Bradley could still end up being the defensive coordinator of this team, and the interviews just happen a little bit later. I I don't know how public these interviews are made. We hear head coaching interviews are made all the time. There are Rooney rule, Rule requirements to coaches as well on the OC and DC side. So a lot of that has to be put out in the news cycle because of that or ends up being put out there. But once in a while, you'll see coordinators and position coaches just kind of coming out of nowhere and saying, okay, I didn't see that coming. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. It, uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think there's some good defensive candidates out there, but uh, Fangio would, would have been that, – that would have been pretty cool. That would have been two guys that started together here in 95, coming back to coach the team, two – it would have given Frank a lot of ability to just kind of let, you know, his defensive coordinator be the co-head coach of the team, essentially. But that's not to be, it looks like. So we move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't agree with... Anyway, uh, I mean, if you had Fangio, if you were interviewing him, um, and you enjoyed your conversations with him, which is what Dave... Joe person reported, then I really don't see why you couldn't just offer him the salary that his work um, exemplifies. Especially after you paid Matt Rule, what you paid him. Um, when, when did when did we start getting <laughs> selective on? And if that's indeed what happened here, if it's a, a margin of one percent or half a percent of of millions of dollars that was left off the table. I again, I don't know that we're speculating, but it is interesting that Vic Fangio was interviewed by so many teams and you know, you've got the resources to get that done. And Denver's not in play because they just fired him. So it's like, okay, I mean, what, what, what happened? That That's a story that will come out at some point. I'd like to know what, how serious it was between Fangio and the Panthers. I got the sense that it was pretty damn close to happening, but, I mean, money, again, from people I talked to, wasn't like the key contributor to this not working out. It was 
a little more to it, and you can't hold a guy hostage. So if he sees, I'm not saying you hold him hostage. Uh, obviously, you know, I, yeah, he probably assessed the whole thing and looked at it. And maybe he didn't like it as much as something else. I don't know. It, I mean, money's money, but I mean, he well, this, again. I, I'm just I'm going off of what I'm reading reported. I think I don't know who it was. I think it was Josina Anderson who said the Panthers didn't like make the necessary financial commitment to match Miami's offer or something. I don't know. Again, that, and that, that could be very true. And I like Josina, but again, I'm, I'm just going on somebody I know very close to all of this. And they've told me point blank, this was not about the money at the end of the day. It wasn't. So I'll, I'll stick by that. That doesn't mean what Josina is reporting is incorrect. I probably say it's true that maybe it was an underpay or an overpay. But the sense I get is it's, you know, Vic is milking this thing, too. He's leveraging this for every dollar and opportunity for control. Hey, how much power do I get in this building? What are my dynamics? Do I get to be in the draft room making? It's a lot. There are a lot of dynamics at play. I don't know Vic Fangio personally, um, and I'm not defending this owner. Trust me, I'd like to see him make all the moves with the resources he has to buy a goddamn championship. You got the money. When he took this team over, that's what I told my kids. I said, this is going to be easy. Go buy it. But it just frustrates me that it, th- there's just so much miss. There's just so many mistakes that are ha- happening that are totally avoidable, whether it's this situation with Fangio or whether it's not allowing Ben Johnson to come in for an interview. It, it just, again, Frank Reich is clearly a very good choice and he, w- he will be a good coach. So this isn't me trying to knock on him. I'm just more, my issues are with the higher ups with this franchise who seem to be doing everything in their power to just suck the life out of it. Um, but it's it just, I just don't understand what they're doing. And it, I mean, interviewing defensive coordinators, then with all due respect, Marquand Manuel, I mean, you and I followed the NFC South. He was a defensive coordinator for the Falcons. Their defense completely regressed the two years after the NFC champ or they won the NFC or in the Super Bowl, he got fired. And I think he just was a position coach with the Eagles. And then he went to, uh, he's with the jets currently. And if they're trying to replicate this Pete Carroll, like 2012 defense, then it's, it's, it's not a good fit for this defense, especially a guy like JC Horn. And the reason I say that is because like this Gus Bradley, like heavy cover three system is you don't want to limit him. And that's why, you know, Chris Richard would excite me because he's for the past, like half decade or even longer, he's coached under Rod Marinelli and Dennis Allen, two coaches who aren't exactly, um, who aren't exactly coaches who have one philosophy. They're very, they vary their coverages and they do. I mean, Marinelli is a too high lovey Smith type of, uh, you know, Monty Kiffin disciple and Dennis Allen comes from a similar tree where he likes to mix up coverages and working under those two, it gives me optimism that Richard could be a very viable defensive coordinator. Um, He isn't going to necessarily follow in the Pete Carroll, Gus Bradley track. Uh, But I, I have no, I'm not sure what to say about Manuel. He worked under Dan Quinn and then he went to Philadelphia, um, for a year and then he's back in the Robert Sala, which is a similar defense to a Gus Bradley, a lot of cover three 
principles. And that, and that just, I don't think that's the best use of this talent. Um, I don't think JC Horn should be covering one part of the field. I think no, you should I be totally did. Totally just, well, look at the Look at the saints, how they use Marshawn Lattimore. They use him in all sorts of different ways. And he, Exceed. I mean, he's turned into like a, a perennial all pro because the way Dennis Allen uh, likes to use his uh, defenders. And I think Richard has been a big part of some of their young guys developing, whether it's Adebo or Alante Taylor. Um, you got to give him credit. And I think he would be a very good choice. Whether that comes to fruition is beyond my belief because every single report I've heard from the past 48 hours is Marquand Manuel. And again, Maybe he's changed the defensive coordinator, but I was very underwhelmed Here's... with his defenses in Atlanta, and it's not like they didn't have talent either. I mean, um, they had one of the best linebackers in the game at the time, Deion Jones. Uh, Grady Jarrett was the, one of the best interior pass rushers in the NFL. So yep. um, I, I'm, I'm just uh, – again, I want to see how things play out. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I don't want the front office picking coaches or the owner for that matter. I don't want the owner interviewing offensive line coaches. I don't want the owner interviewing wide receiver coaches or quarterback coaches. I don't want the front office doing that either. I don't care how much, uh, I mean, Dan Morgan, he's not a coach. He is a front off assistant GM. His job with all due respect should be going to the shrine bowl, going to the senior bowl, scouting players. Yeah, and picking... Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, their job, their job as a committee was to pull together uh, as, as the dream team, such as they were, and I've got a lot of respect for most of the people you mentioned in terms of their football acumen. I got no problem with any of these guys. I, look, Fitterer hasn't had a complete work of a body of work yet, but he's got a very high degree of acumen from a lot of people we talk to on this show and other shows. It's time to start building a winner. Let's see if there were some restrictions put on his plate due to the prior guy here. But until you prove it, we can question it. Dan Morgan, I agree. You don't pull these guys in on coordinator interviews. No one does. That's not what we do. What you do is you get your head coach in based on the search committee that was put out. And I didn't hate that group. I thought it was good that Dan was in that room. Samir, I'm fine with that. Interesting that Drummond was reportedly not in that mix. And, and there's some speculation that maybe he and Steve Wilkes were too close. And I don't know. I You tell me why Steve Drummond wouldn't be a part of that this time around. I don't care. All I care about is Frank Reich addressing his vision for the franchise to the public tomorrow. And from there, I'd like to get really involved in trying to find out from our sourcing and also good reporting out there that gives us a lot in terms of content to talk about here. Is Frank Reich just basically able, as my source tells me tonight, hire his own coordinators and then do it as it's been done with winning organizations in the past. Let the coaches hire the coaches. And obviously there's some oversight there in terms of contracts and all that, but no, Dan Morgan is more than capable of analyzing personnel, but it's not his role to put together a staff. Frank Reich has done this before as a head coach. He's been a part of several staffs that have been good to elite teams. He knows what he's doing. Um, I don't want to get angry about something that hasn't even happened yet. A lot of this is speculation and reporting. Yes, Vic Fangio will reportedly make the highest contract in coordinator history. Yes, Josina Anderson and others have mentioned it sounds like that their offer exceeded Carolina's. Hey, so be it. If David Tepper didn't want to pay Vic Fangio a million dollars more or whatever than this, maybe he got the sense that Vic wasn't that interested in being here. I don't know. I have to believe that if Vic wanted to be here, 
knowing his very close relationship with Frank Reich and with so many others around these parts, maybe there was more to it than that. But damn, I'm with you. I don't want that owner, any owner, any owner, not even the most, the best owner in the league. I don't know who it would be, but the, the, the one I like disrespect the least. I don't want him anywhere near those meetings. It's not your job. Your job is to operate the team, make money, do all the things you're supposed to do as an owner, support these people, let them do their job. I don't care what quarterback he likes. I don't care what coordinator he likes. It does nothing for me. He is a brilliant stock trader and Wall Street guy. He's made billions. But as I told people from the beginning, who would bring out the, the standard line, well, you don't get to be worth this, this, this overnight if you're stupid. It's like, hey, dipshits. It's the NFL. It's not what he's done. A minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I get it. It's a different world. We see it time and time again. It takes time to learn how to own a goddamn team. And I like a lot of. I can't keep making that excuse, though. Well, I, no, no, I'm I'm not saying that like, oh, give him time. I'm saying legitimately a lot of early owners here suck at this. I, I don't know what else to say. If he's still involved at a high level in terms of coordinator interviews, that's inexplicably bad. But I don't know that to be absolutely true moving forward. I know these early candidates they brought, if he's meeting with Vic Fangio early on, maybe that's just kind of an exception because Vic was treated like a head coaching candidate. I mean, he was in hot demand, so I don't know. In any event, I, I still think it's probably better to maybe leave the owner out of the room there. Um, Like Sean Payton, that thing. I, we got no feedback on how that went. I, that's a grift, it feels like. That's a money grab. And that's, that's my other point. I, again, I'm not going to name names, but there has been some really shameful reporting from the national media. I have zero issue with what I've been hearing from the local but whoever this Mark Maskey guy is from the Washington Post, he should be ashamed of himself. If you go on reporting stuff that David Tepper is going to do everything in his power to make Sean Payne the highest or do whatever he wants to give higher Sean Payne. And then you have Dan Patrick going on his show saying that, and that is absolute despicable reporting. And the fact that there's no accountability for it, it just makes me sick. Well, I mean, you know, look, there's... <laughs> I think Dan plays it loose a little bit at times, and he's a. But who is this Mark Maskey guy to go to report Mark, this stuff? I don't know Mark that well. I know he works for the Washington Post. I mean, I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but they probably have some journalistic standards there in terms of editorial. Um, I mean, do they? I, well, okay. In this case, look, it it doesn't look very good. Um, Sean's retweeting reporters, being like, "No, that ain't it." When you get the retweet from the coach. The QT, that that's like, oh, fuck. Like, I, I don't know. And this is why I'm so glad I'm not in that world. I, I like the space we're in. Just We can just bullshit a little bit, but also opine and come up with our theories as to what's going on. But yeah, I can occasionally offer some perspective from some people that are dialed into this thing that aren't journalists, that are actually football people that operate within the NFL structure that know. And in with the Frank Reich situation, I'm, I'm – a little bit fortunate to have a couple of people that at least have familiarity with his way of thinking and his mindset. I can't speak for Frank. I wouldn't do that. I can't speak for David Tepper. I wouldn't say, oh, he's going to give Sean Payton the world. I, what on, on what basis would you say that? What has he proven so far that he would do that? He's got the money. If he wants what he wants, he can go get it. Um, his choice from day one was to 
hire Baylor's head coach. And the sweetener, when he felt the pressure from Dave Gettleman, was to, while they're eating meatballs, throw an extra year on top of the contract. And the first thing they did, they bring him in for an interview, or they bring him in for the, you know, presser and all that. And Teddy Bridgewater's already the quarterback from day one. I know that for a fact. And then we're filling the building with a bunch of Baylor Temple, <laughs> the very capable assistants at that level. But this, it, it, yeah, I get it. I get the skeptic. I just want to see Frank in front of a microphone, and I want to hear the vision a little bit there, and let's see some coordinators play out. I, I'll say this. Philly still might be employing their next two coordinators. It could, to me, it could, Denard Wilson, under the radar type of guy, you know, people have advocated for him. His players have talked about this guy should be a defensive coordinator pretty soon. And then it could be Brian Johnson on the offensive side. Um, you know, that was a lot of speculation about Steve Wilkes put him on Hunt's list. Brian Johnson would be a tremendous guy to talk to. I don't know if he'd be a tremendous coordinator. I don't know if any of these guys would be tremendous. I think he's very capable of being very good at this job. So it's up to Frank Reich, hopefully, to make those decisions with autonomy. As has been told to me once again by a source, Frank will have that opportunity or he wouldn't have taken that job. So if something is out of alignment there, then... That's interesting. Um, that's all I can tell you. I don't have 50 sources. I've got maybe three, but they're damn good ones. And and I don't go out there saying David Temper is going to pay everybody $500 million. I can tell you that. I don't want the shit into that stick. I don't know, Bill, man. It's it, Nothing comes easy. It's been that way for 28 years around here. Well, I, I don't, I'm not asking for things to come easy. I'm just asking for you know the reporter for one of the biggest newspapers not only in the country but in the world to have a little bit more journalistic integrity instead of just tweeting out random stuff about he's never met dave tepper in his life maybe he has an owner's meeting but don't just report things that aren't factually true and then you have others aggregate sites pick it up and it just turns into a whole mess yeah it gets that's the way that's why i'm careful about what i say because i I know one person can pick up on it. I've had a sports talk host. He used to have me on his show all the time. Won't mention his name, but he did some um, reporting that didn't quite measure up here on the Panthers side of late. And he used to have me on his show, and he would get you know, thoughts about the Sean Watson stuff. And I had a couple people I knew that were pretty close to that camp, but not close enough to know everything. But I gave some information to, to kind of get people understanding what the context was about Sean Watson with the Panthers. Yes, there was some interest. There had been some reporting, and I'm not doubting it, but that Deshaun Watson would never consider coming back to Carolina because he and Cam were tight. And I was able to refute that based on my reporting. And that turned into this sports talk station headlining it as, John Ellis says Panthers are favorite to land Deshaun Watson. I, I, I literally almost shit myself when I saw it. And I called the guys, and I'm like, is this how we're operating, Really? So from there, I just decided you, you got to be careful who you talk to, how you say what you say. Hey, look, Mark Maskey, do it. I, I don't know. I got to go back and look at the tweet. But um, yeah, when I say it's not easy, I'm, I'm talking about just let's try to make sure that we just get a, a very solid, nice guy that's got a great offensive mind and Frank Reich in this building. Let's start focusing on a plan that works. And I don't want to get too hysterical about Fitterer because good people I talk to that aren't biased about this it's not just a likability factor. They respect his acumen. 
and they do feel like there was some weighing down of the process there with Matt Rule still having a lot of contractual power. And it was not a very bad relationship. But Scott's it's been reported, and we all know he can work with just about anybody. He is very, very open to ideas, very receptive. Um, let's see how it plays out because so far it's been a couple of five win seasons for the you know, Matt Rule and then Scott Fitter and just if David Tepper had made a different decision from the get-go here and maybe gone the Mike McCarthy route, and I know we weren't wild, and I, I wasn't, you might have been more acceptable to that, but he didn't. He hired Matt Rule. I hated it. It worked out exactly like I thought it would. If I had to predict how this is going to work out, I predict Frank Reich will have probably as much say as anybody in who his coordinator is going to be, and then they'll sit down, and is been the case with Doug Peterson, who learned this from Andy Reid, It'll be a very controlled process where the coaches will get in the room together. There'll be some input from power players. I would say it would probably be limited to Scott and Dan at that point. And Tepper would be out of the room, hopefully, for those meetings and conversations. And you would build a staff that way. I want to see the staff put together, and then we can kind of take a deep breath and say, let's get to the draft, and let's start scouting these guys out. Um but it look, it's a fair conversation to have when a Vic Fangio, they made the decision, Billy, to bring him in early for an interview. So you set yourself up for this type of critique when you don't land the big fish. You're exactly right. You're exactly fair for for bringing this up the way you did. I, I don't know what to make of it other than maybe it wasn't. Well, I mean, what I make of it, it just screams a very convoluted process. Had they gotten Vic, though, I mean, would that have changed your outlook on it? Yeah, if if they would have gotten him, then they, it would have told me that this process had a madness behind it. Yeah. Because right now you bring in Vic Fangio, or you interview him, excuse me, and Joe Person is writing that Tepper enjoys conversations. What on earth could Tepper really have enjoyed about his conversations with Fangio? And then you're going to let him the... how he was telling he was telling Vic how he revamped the Carolina's defense and what. It, what a brilliant move that was back in 2019. Like I, I took, I took it to a three, four, like you, I'm kidding folks. Chill out. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what they talked about. Who knows? But but that's my point though, because it, there would have been some sort of at least method to their madness. As I just said that, Hey, we're going to do something unconventional, but we're going to land Vic Fangio. And I could have understood it. Totally fine. Okay. Does Jeffrey, that's Lurie, does Jeffrey Lurie do this when he hires? Does he get in meetings? And I don't know. You have to ask someone in Philly, but what I'm trying to say here is that I'm... I just, I'm having a lot of issues with this process. Now, final point before we sign off for the night. Yeah. Frank Reich is going to go as far as how the QB is. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't want to see Sam Donald return. I really don't. Well then, don't, I, I mean, John, I don't want to see him return. And don't bring him back. You're not tied. I mean, whose decision? Whose decision? If Darnold comes back, who's responsible? Scott Fitter is responsible. I mean, what, what do you want me to say here? <laughs> I'm not advocating for Sam Darnold coming back. They that ship has sailed for me. They'd be crazy to do that. I, now, look, there's opportunities out there. That, look. When you're bringing in a head coach, and his name is Frank Reich, and he has a history with certain quarterbacks, and he expects certain things from those quarterbacks, one of the first things you look at is, okay, toughness, do you do you have size, do you have the ability to throw side to side? Yeah, Sam can do all that. 
But there's some things that I think Frank is smart of that he's learned from the recklessness of some of his other quarterbacks that he thought he could work with. Not to mention Sam Darnold is very mid right now at best. No, I'm not worried that Frank will go to bat for that. I don't think Scott Fitter is going to repeat that mistake. If they do, holy shit, I'll say that. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just so many better options in the free agent market. Of course there are. Like, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, who worked under Frank in Indianapolis, whether it's Geno Smith, which probably going to re-sign with the Seahawks, but if he doesn't, that's a viable option, in my opinion. Sure. Um, And you have, like, other guys, like, backup types, like a Cooper Rush or... um, that you can Tannehill. come in. And, I mean, we've mentioned Tannehill before. I mean, there, there's yeah. Well, Tannehill's still under contract, but yeah, if if he is an option like in a trade, I would take him. I would take. Uh, I, I don't know. Less sure about Derek Carr, but uh, I would definitely take Tannehill. But uh, again, they have a new GM, so who knows how they, their entire um, player pre- procurement process will work. Overall, I just want to see some rookie quarterback come in because I'm just. Tired of this veteran go merry round with Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker. Like, can, can we just send it? And if I see Sam Darnold starting week one behind center, and I, I like, I'm already going to, I can already tell there's going to be so many people like justifying it too. Oh, he played better under McAdoo. He did this, he did that. He didn't help the offensive line. Okay, I don't care. I mean, I can't. Offensive I can't lines imagine. are never healthy for t- 17, 18 I can't games. imagine. I your, can't imagine. your right guard that you just signed is already coming off a torn ACL. You don't have any idea if Iquanu and the other guys are going to stay healthy. So, yes, quarterbacks have to deal with bad offensive lines, and they have to make it work. And he was a train wreck in that Saints game. None of the analysis I've seen, I've seen some of the blurbs you've seen. I'm not calling in. I just don't want Sam Darnold. I got it. <laughs> Thanks. I've been saying that for two years. I'm with you. I'm I'm trying to respond to your point in that. Look, will they do that? I don't know. I don't think they will. I, I don't. What? What? I mean, we got reporters out there that are making short list of possible bridge quarterbacks. I haven't heard anybody from the organization say a damn thing about Sam Darnold. I, I don't. I don't understand at this point, what their plan is at quarterback, other than they probably would like to go with somebody in the first round, and they'd like to have somebody other than anybody that's on their roster besides Corral to be in the mix. And I'm not worried about Corral this year. Let him develop and see if he can turn himself into a, a backup or a starter in this league. Gives you an option. But no, I I haven't given it much thought. You on the other hand, you seem very concerned about it. and I don't- I'm extremely concerned. Or is it be- okay? Well, explain why you think it might happen. I don't know if it will happen. I have no like intel or anything. Well, I know, but there's just-, just a lot of there's just a lot of um, scar tissue with this organization and making bad decisions at the quarterback position. I mean, it's been happening since for a long time, even before Cam Newton got here. There was just uh, so many just reckless moves that this franchise made at that position. And there's just history that is involved that has. Yeah, I hear you. It's just, it's, it's, it's frightening to know what this organization can do. And what I'm trying to get at here is that 
we're talking about Frank Reich and his hire and his success is going to be dependent on him finding a quarterback. He went to bat for Carson Wentz and it didn't work out. It simply did not work out. And to put it in perspective, Carson Wentz threw for 22 touchdowns and seven picks, which dwarfs anything Sam Darnold has done here. I know Carson's not our favorite. But those numbers were very fluky because he... Okay, I'm just saying Sam has been a disaster class here with the exception of a few games. Somebody in that building has to know that if we're sitting here potting about it. I, I would imagine that's not going to repeat itself. I'm with you. Well, let me just finish my thought before. Uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say here is not about Donald or Wentz or anything. What I'm trying to say is that Frank's success is going to be dependent on the quarterback position. And last year during this time, or maybe even fast forward a few months, what I want everyone to do is just to be independent about how they think about evaluating quarterbacks because everyone last year trusted Ben McAdoo when um, they drafted Corral. They didn't draft Sam Howell, who I wanted. Uh, And I did like Corral, but they were just like McAdoo knows all. And the reason I say this is that Frank Reich is a very accomplished head coach. He's very smart just because he decides which quarterback direction they want to go. doesn't mean he's right because he, it backfired on him in Indianapolis when he went to bat for, uh, Carson Wentz. They traded a first-round pick, and fortunately, they had the the meltdown the last two weeks of the year, and in large part because Wentz uh, turned into the quarterback as we know him now. And I, I just want to say that like Reich's success is going to be dependent on the quarterback, and I just hope that this franchise just gets out of its own way. The owner can stop getting involved and. Whatever quarterback scouting, I don't know what what he's doing in Columbus or Lexington or Tuscaloosa. If he's going to pro days or not, I would rather not see that. But let's just find a rookie quarterback in the first round for once. I don't, I don't, I know fans are tired of us bringing up the Justin Fields and Mac Jones and um, oh, Kenny Pickett's look like a decent quarterback now too. All these quarterbacks that they've passed on the past couple of years. Why don't they just take one in the first round? They should have and, taken Justin Fields. That's and and you know what people do, Billy? They do this bullshit move where oh, I'm gonna tag JC Horn in there. Oh, Ellis Links, you gives a fuck. These are all grown men. They had a quarterback sitting right there in front of them that fit everything they needed. And look, let's not forget, I, I Matt Rule fucked a lot of this up too. Matt Rule was adamant about gotta find my guy, gotta find my guy. That was a personality that took on a life of its own. I'm not I'm not acquitting the owner or the GM here, but let's not make a mistake here. Matt was very clear that Justin Fields nor Mac Jones were anywhere on his radar, anywhere at draft day. I love J.C. Horn. I'm not blaming him for his own injuries, but Justin Fields is a damn good quarterback. You put him around the right weapons, get him with – I mean, it's, it's not going to happen now, but yeah, I get you. It's time to get one in the first round. Move up if you have to. I don't give a shit. If you want Stroud, get Stroud. He'd be great for, at least prototypically speaking, for what they like to do with that offense that Frank has been a part of. It would work great. Bryce, you know, hey, look, the frame's a little light, but as, as you said earlier this week, he's trying to beef it up. Hey, maybe that works. I don't think, uh, you know, Levis, incomplete for me. I haven't done enough work on Levis. And then Anthony Richardson, as people have told me, hey, you got Brian Johnson who, understands and knows Anthony Richardson pretty intimately. 
Brissett, bring him in, let him be the bridge guy. That's sensible to me because I like Anthony. I think he can become a good quarterback in this league, a great one. Even. But well, I have an idea for you. Tell me. Just why don't we sign one of these veteran quarterbacks, whether it's Jacoby or maybe even Geno's available, um, bring in Anthony Richardson, use him as like a short yardage option, and hire Paul Johnson as offensive assistant. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I laugh at that because we had a Paul Johnson uh, laugh a few weeks ago. But, Billy, it, it, you're not far off with that. And I, I'm telling you, the Jacoby kind of transition plan, I know people are tired of hearing bridge quarterback. Jacoby played some pretty good football. And now. he's only going to sign like a one- or two-year yeah. deal. He's not going to sign like a four-year, $100 million right. deal. You have to understand like that, that people are afforded some opportunity to make – mistakes as operators of organizations as gms and the darnold mistake was a bad one the passing on justin fields i feel like was probably a mistake um but you do what you think is right at the time the the sam thing i do think was a gassed up move a little bit from the losing out the fear of missing out they had swung and missed on stafford watson was going through all that mess they were in the building for the Watson sweepstakes from minute one. And they were there to the finish line until once again, David Tepper decided it's a bridge too far financially. Thank God for that. Because, you know, Watson was great down here at Clemson. A lot of questions about what he's done and what he still might be capable of doing. And right now, let's just focus on what's ahead of us here. I don't disagree. Draft a quarterback in this madness. Get it. It's like we talked about left tackle, left tackle. Left. They finally did it. Icky looks like he's going to be pretty good at this. All right? Do the same with the quarterback. you got a pretty good class here. And, you know, Frank will find his guy. I, yeah, I'm pretty confident in that. But the Carson Wentz thing was a disaster. I Look, 22-7, I mentioned the stat line. I, I, I know where you're going with that. I get it. I was making a larger point about how bad the bar has been here, that at least on paper something like that looked appealing. Fans need to just be careful that they don't buy into, hey, that's a better stat line than what we've seen here. Sam Darnold should not be re-signed here. Um, but I, I guess I get where you're coming from. I don't worry about it as much. But, yeah, the scar tissue does. It cuts deep, man, because we've seen some really idiotic things happen for years here over multiple tenures. And um, th- this team has only had one real franchise quarterback. You could say that DeLome had a nice stretch run here, but they've never had a decade-long run with a quarterback. It's not easy to do that, but um, but then what you're going to try is getting in the yeah. You got to stop dicking around in the third round or Baker Mayfield. Look, I'm sure I've said some things. Go back to my priors. I probably said things that were totally fucking stupid on this show about oh okay, well this could work. Well maybe it could have. You try to look at all the positives and the negatives. Um, you're right about the McAdoo thing. Like he was smitten with with Corral. I mean. And I think at the time we were saying, oh, this will be a great marriage and a great fit. It just, to me, okay, I get the rationale there. It fits what the OC wants to do. But at the time, I I would have banked money if I bet that both of those guys would, meaning Rule and McAdoo, would be nowhere near this organization in a year's time. And it looks like I'm going to be right. It, It was never going to work. It was a complete sham. And that's why I didn't put too much stock into that pick. 
I like Corral, but McAdoo, like, like if he stays on as a, he's not going to stay on the staff. He's not going to be the OC. So whatever, move on. Let Frank hire his guys. Let him cook. Let's see if the guy can actually be what Doug Peterson is and what Sirianni is. I mean, like the McVay. I mean, those guys have quarterbacks, and I, I, exactly. that's what I'm trying to say. Like the success of his tenure is going to be judged upon and, the ability to find a quarterback. And I think the best way for him to do that is not go the veteran route. You want to bring in Jacoby Brissett on a two to three year deal, short term, fine. I'm fine with that. Right. Yes. But don't bring Jacoby Brissett in and then completely like forget to draft a quarterback in the top 10 of the draft. They tried to sell us that with Bridgewater when they could have had Justin Herbert or they traded up and they didn't do that. So at this stage, just try to hire some competency at, you know, the other positions looks like James Kamen and Chris Tabor are staying on uh, in their respective roles. Um, I, again, I, I think the hire of Frank Reich is very positive. I think he's going to be a good coach and, um, you know, we'll see how high that ceiling can be. That that ceiling is dependent on on Frank finding a good quarterback. I hope it's not Sam Darnold starting week one. I hope they find like a guy like I just said, whether it's Tannehill via trade or Brissett and free agency on a short term deal. Sign one of those guys and draft your guy in the top ten of the draft. And I think that's the best way for this franchise to move forward. I'm really not going to justify some of the decisions they make if they follow you know going the path of signing one of these guys like a Darnold or Garoppolo or Carr and expecting that to just flip a switch. I don't think that's the way to go. Yeah, I mean there that's something to examine too. We get close to free agency and trades. Is there anybody out there that would make sense. And I, I'm trying to look at it from a system scheme perspective and a, in a fit. For, this is very important now. This used to be a kind of a over overblown, overthought kind of perspective. All these defensive coaches here, Rivera, all the, you know, rule, whatever the hell he was. And it's like, this is a very narrow focus type of very precision oriented type of guy in Frank Reich. I want a certain type of quarterback. I'm willing to be flexible. But I don't just bring me this and make me mold it. I want what I want. I can work with this. That's what I'm getting at here is like, I think you're going to end up in a pretty good spot if you grab one of these quarterbacks that he feels that can be next level with his guidance and with his coaching. They, they're in a pretty decent spot to get something done here. And if you don't, you're just going to have to bite the bullet and find a trade partner and move up. And that's just part of doing business. That's what they had to do to get, you know, Wentz back there in Philly. And I mean, it worked. Everybody's screaming MVP at the time and he gets hurt. And you got to find your guy. It's time to stop the madness. The fields could have been great here. Herbert, you were just a few steps away from getting that done. I know Marty Herney loved Justin. And um, yeah, it's, there's no guarantees in the first round. We know that. But if you've got a good front office and a good coach and they know what they're doing, you're probably going to get a good quarterback. And now you got a coach who knows how to coach them. So you're right. I mean, Frank's not going to be much of anything long-term here if they cycle through quarterbacks. I just really like to think that the coach they just fired was a at least somewhat part of that chaos. Um, Scott's not without, you know, Credit or blame, the good and the bad, too. So 
And and I guess last point is Jalen Hurts. Um, some would suggest that they didn't truly know if they had what we now view as a franchise quarterback at the time. And that speaks to the culture and development that's happening in Philadelphia with how they've evolved their systems, but also the work that Hurts has put into it. So there's it's not a one-size-fits-all. And that's not to suggest wait till round two, trust me. But who knows who the next guy is going to be? I don't. If you had to ask me today, go get Derek Carr, I'd say no. <laughs> I, something about that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't feel right. And I, I think go young, find a inexpensive veteran option to be there for him if he's not ready, and move forward. And uh, it, it, it seems to work for a lot of teams out there that have a lot of success. So that's kind of where they're at right now. Hey, look, we're an hour and a half into this thing. I think we can call it a night as the Panthers have hired their new head coach, of course, Frank Reich. We know all about that. We know James Camp and Chris Tabor have been retained as offensive line coach and special teams coordinator, respectively. What's next? We don't know. We will find out. We have a feeling that coordinator positions will get interesting here in the next few days. Frank Reich meets with the media tomorrow at noon in Charlotte to discuss being the new head coach of the Panthers. Introductory press conference time, baby. So we'll see what happens. For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. Thank you once again for listening to the Roar podcast on Blue Wire. Check in with us later this week for another episode as we get some more clarity on what's next for your Panthers. Have a good night.